Let us pray. Father, as we look at the message this afternoon, we're asking for the presence of your Spirit to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we've been studying the biographies, and we've been doing a series entitled Beholding Christ Through the Biographies. And this afternoon, as mentioned, we want to look at the biography of Noah. And our specific subject is another ark to build. Another ark to build. And let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, there's a flood that is coming. A flood is coming, relentless in its fury. And the question is, are we prepared to meet it? That's the question. Our theme text, as we look at the life of Noah, just remember these words. For whatsoever things were written aforetimes were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. As we look at the life of Noah, we're going to see that God's people have another ark to build. And we want to know what is that ark about. We also want to know what is that flood that's coming. And that's what we want to study this afternoon. Remember it also says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that great quote in the book Education says, As an educator, no part of the Bible is of greater value than are its biographies. Now to set the stage for this afternoon's message, I want to bring, turn your attention to a story that's in the book Great Controversy, on page 20. It says, For seven years, a man continued to go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, declaring the woes that were to come upon the city. This is speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem that Christ prophesied in the book of Luke. It says, By day and by night he chanted the wild dirge, a voice from the east, a voice from the west, a voice from the four winds, a voice against Jerusalem and against the temple, a voice against the bridegrooms and the brides, a voice against the whole people. This strange being was imprisoned and scorched, and no complaint escaped his lips. To insult and abuse, he answered only, Woe, woe to Jerusalem, woe, woe to the inhabitants thereof. His warning cry ceased not until he was slain in the siege he had foretold. Now at face value, it sounds like this man died an honorary death. At face value, it seems that this, this man was a martyr for Christ. At face value, it seemed that this man preached a, the right message and at the right time, and as a result of his faithfulness as an ambassador to proclaim the message, that he died as a result of the message. And it would seem that there's a badge of honor that's awaiting this man. Until you read the next sentence. Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. I want to pause here for a moment. 
Oftentimes in Christianity, we are so theoretical at the neglect of the practical. This man preached a theoretical message and neglected the practical. And as we look at the life of Noah this afternoon, you're going to see that Noah not only was a theoretical preacher, but he practiced what he preached. And let me say this. As Seventh-day Adventists, living in these last days, our message has to get past the theory into experience. Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Christ had given his disciples warning and all who believe his words watched for the promised sign. When you shall see Jerusalem come past with armies, said Jesus, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh, then let them which are in Judea do what? Flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. In other words, Christ said that when you see the signs, there are practical responsibilities that you have, not just a theoretical. This is a solemn warning, my friends. And I believe that with the coronavirus, we've seen Jerusalem compass roundabout and that the desolation is nigh. See, what happened was Cyrus came and for no apparent reason, Jerusalem was encompassed roundabout and for no apparent reason, he left. And they got complacent. They went back to business as usual. And then Titus came, four years later. And we're told that blood gushed out of the sanctuary. And it was fulfilled to the very letter. There shall not be left one stone upon another. Christ told them, when you see Jerusalem compass run about, Take action. And this man, he preached the right message at the right time. But it was only a theory and not an experience. I wonder how many of us within Adventism is really practicing what we believe. If we believe that a Sunday law is on our hinges, my friends, have we been making practical preparation for the crisis that's ahead? That's what we want to study. The coming flood. Now in the book of First Chronicles chapter 12, I want to point out two things in verse 32. I'll quote it for the sake of time, or you could turn there. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. The Bible says, And unto the children of Issachar, now listen to these words, were men that had understanding of the times. What did they have? Understanding of the times. But this text does not stop there. 
They had understanding of the times, but then it goes on to say, to know what Israel ought to do. If you understand the time, naturally, you should know what to do. Let me illustrate. Suppose it's dark and I'm trying to figure out in the midst of the night, I don't know if it's time to get up, I don't know if it's time to go back to sleep, I'm trying to figure out what is my next move. The first thing I need to find out is, what time is it? Now if I look and it says one o'clock, I know that I can roll back over and go to sleep. But if I see that it says five o'clock or six o'clock, I know that it is time to wake up. My brothers and sisters, if you're watching the prophetic clock, you'll see that it's time to wake up. Unfortunately, the majority of the church is rolling over and going back to sleep. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's time to wake up. But these men, they had two things. They had understanding of the time. Now what do you notice? It says understanding of the time. That word understand means to perceive the intended meaning. A person could have sufficient information without understanding. A person could have sufficient evidence without understanding. But these men... It was not just information, it's not just evidences. They had an understanding. They perceived the intended meaning. And the second thing they did is they know what Israel ought to do. So today we're going to look at both of these. At first we're going to focus on understanding the time. Then we look at what Israel ought to do. Amen? Now let's look at the time. We're told if the times in which we are living fail to impress our minds seriously, what can reach us? The prophet also says, I see a crisis before us and the Lord calls for his laborers to come into line. I pray that God's laborers will come into line this weekend. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at the life of Noah. In Matthew chapter 24... In fact, if you study the book of Matthew chapter 24, it could be broken up into three thirds. How many thirds? Three thirds. The first third of Matthew 24, which starts from verse 1 all the way down to verse 13, these are prophetic implications that are very generic. Wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places. These are things that has happened and has always happened and they happen over and over again. But... The second third of Matthew 24 now, you can see, gets more specific. The gospel shall be preached in all the world. That's the three angels' messages. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophets. That's more specific. So the first third, generic prophecies that occurs all the time. Second third, it gets more specific now. And the most specific aspect of it is when you come down to verse 29 and verse 30. I wish I had time to study with you. But it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. That's very, very specific, my brothers and sisters. That's the second third 
of Matthew 24. So it's also of generic, then very specific. Now, the third third of Matthew 24, it has no new information. God has just given us warnings now not to get caught unawares as a result of the prophecies that you saw in the first and second third of Matthew chapter 24. And you find that there are seven warnings beginning in verse 33 and onwards that God has given us in Matthew chapter 24. Actually, begin in verse 36. Verse 36 says, But of that day and hour no man knoweth the day, uh, but that of day and hour no man knoweth, no, not the angel of heaven, but my Father only. Then it goes on to say, But as in the days of Noah were, that's what we're studying, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we're studying the first of the seven warnings about making sure that you're ready in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, the Bible said they were eating, and what else? And drinking, what else? Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. What does verse 39 say? And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And then it goes on to say, So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. My brothers and sisters, God is warning us, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then the Bible warns about four things. The Bible said they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And as a result of eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, the Bible says, and knew not until the flood came and took them away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If you want to summarize this, they were given into appetite and passion. And why said these are the two sins that the entire world suffers with right now. Appetite and passion. We don't have time to study those specifically. But I want you to notice they were doing things that were normal. It's normal to eat. It's normal to drink. It's normal to have marriages. But what the Bible is bringing out here, my friends, is that they were living ordinarily in an extraordinary time. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. In other words, they were living business as usual. When a flood was coming. Are you guys still with me? Yes or no? Yes. Now my question is this. Were they warned? Yes or no? Yes. In fact, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 that, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. They were warned. Inspiration says, Noah's effort to reform his fellow men did not succeed. They were warned. Are we warned? Have we heard about the second coming of Christ, my friends? We are seventh-day Adventists. We believe in the advent of Christ. 
We know that there's a national Sunday law that will eventually come. We have been warned and warned and warned. But the efforts, I hope that does not fail with us as it did for the antediluvians in the days of Noah. Business as usual. Now, when did they realize that Noah was correct? The Bible says in verse 39, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. What does the rest of the verse say? So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is a solemn warning, my friends. The Bible says that in the time of Noah, they did not realize until probation had closed. But then it says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That means some of us, my friends, will be knocking at the door of the ark when the flood is drowning us and it's too late. And God is saying right now, a flood is coming. A flood is coming. So is there a lesson for us, my friends? Absolutely. Notice what it says here. As Noah proclaimed his warning message, some listened and worked with him in building the ark, but they did not endure. Evil influences prevailed. They turned away from the truth to become scoffers. And notice what it says now. Thus it will be in the last days of this earth's history. When you begin to share the connection between the, the mandates, when you begin to share the implications, my friends, and the applications of the coronavirus and the link to the climate change, they said, you are a fanatic. Conspiracy. Thus, it will be in the last days of this earth history. Scoffers, my friends. A flood is coming. A flood is coming. Notice what the prophet says. The storm is coming, relentless in its fury, and then the question is asked, are we prepared to meet it? They must be saying, well, we know that the Bible says that when we see that rainbow in the sky, that means we'll never have destruction by flood. So what is a flood in our time? Let's study that. Go to Revelation 12. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 12, and let's look at the flood in our time. Revelation 12, verse 13, the Bible says, let me know when you're there by saying amen. In Revelation chapter 12, what is the flood in our days? We know that the rainbow tells us that the world will never be destroyed by water. So what does it mean by a flood is coming, relentless in its fury? What does it mean that as in the days of Noah, so shall it also come to the Son of Man be? What is the flood in our time? Revelation 12, verse 13, the Bible says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Verse 15, the Bible says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. What is a flood, my friends? It is a flood of persecution. The Bible makes it plain. That there will be a flood of ungodly men that will persecute the people of God in these last days. 
Now, how does this flood come about? Revelation 13 talks about these two beast powers that combines. The first beast is none other than the papacy in Rome. The second beast is found in Revelation 13, verse 15. And the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, speaking of the United States. That power that had two horns like a lamb, and then began to speak as a dragon. The Bible says that he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, and it caused that as many who would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes or forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in his right hand or in his forehead. And in verse 17 it says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name or the number of his name. Now my friends, if we're preaching this, praise God, very powerful, but just remember that man in Great Controversy, chapter of uh, page 20, he also preached this. You guys get what I'm saying? He warned my friends that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He warned my friends that Jerusalem will be compassed round about. He warned and said, Woe to the inhabitants of Jerusalem! Woe! And when we say, there comes a time they can no longer buy or sell. When we say that the third angel's message is about to be fulfilled. When we say, my brothers and sisters, that I see the implications of another national slander law. Just keep in mind we are no different than that man that preached the very same messages about the destruction of Jerusalem. Who when at the time came for him to be prepared, he did not have a place to go to. Or he did not choose to go to the place that he was supposed to go to. He didn't choose to do the work that he was supposed to do. Don't forget that. A flood is coming. Notice what this says. Though no man knows that they know the hour of his coming, we are instructed and required to know when it is near. Now listen, we are further taught that to disregard his warnings and refuse or neglect to know when his advent is near will be as fatal, my friends. For us, as it was for those who lived in the days of Noah, not to know when the flood was coming. What is it saying? We must know the landmarks. That's why the Bible says, remove not the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. Now, what are some of the landmarks? What are some of the things taking place right now that shows that a flood is coming? And as a result, we're going to look at what, not only where we are in time, but we're going to look at what we should be doing. Now, notice what this says, my friends. It says, soon strife among the nations will break out with an intensity that we do not now anticipate. I wonder if that has happened. I wonder, have we seen any strifes as of late? I wonder if we see that people are saying, one earth, one chance. And what are they talking about? Climate change. And then it says, human change, not climate change. And then I like that sign that's all the way in the back that you might not notice, but I bring it to the front. And you know what it says? It says, it's time. I believe it too. Now, she doesn't know the time because she knew the time. She knew what to do. 
But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that we're not children of the darkness, we're children of the light, therefore that day should not take us as a thief. They don't understand, my friends. But we're not in darkness. We're not in darkness. Now have we seen that among the nations will break out an intensity of strifes and, and that we do not now anticipate? No one anticipated the capital being stormed. Look at this, look, look at this my friends. There'll be a strife that we do not anticipate. No one recognized that by the death of George Floyd, that will cause worldwide protests that led to strife. White supremacists walking around with machine guns, black uh, militias walking around with machine guns, and it is only by the mercy of God that they didn't clash at some point. Literally, not sure if you saw the news, whole militias walking around with machine guns, weapons of mass destruction. It goes on. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living, rulers and statesmen, men who occupy a position of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. I want you to notice it says, all classmen. They have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. But what about the church? What about the church? They are watching the strained and restless relation that exists among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they realize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. The prophet is saying that the world recognizes this, my friends. But what is the church's condition? We're told... The world is perishing in ignorance of God's holy law and Seventh-day Adventists are asleep. We're drooling, my friends. While prophecies being fulfilled right in the midst of us right now. The church is asleep. Do you know that right now they have a clock called the doomsday clock? You know what they said in the midst of the climate crisis and the coronavirus? They said, dangerous rivalry and hostility among the superpowers increases the likelihood of nuclear blunder. Climate change just compounds a crisis. If there's ever a time to wake up, it is now. That's what the world is saying, my friends. And they said now it is 100 seconds to midnight. Notice what this says? A New York clock that told time now tells the time remaining. I grew up in New York. I've passed that clock hundreds of times. And notice what this says? 
He says, Metronome's digital clock in Manhattan has been reprogrammed to illustrate a critical window for action to prevent the effects of a global warming from becoming irreversible. And then it goes on to say, it says, on Saturday at 3.20 p.m., messages include that Earth has a deadline begin to appear on the display. The number 7, 103, 15, 407 showed up representing the year, days, hours, minutes, and seconds until that deadline. They said, this is arguably the most important number in the world, Mr. Boyd said, and a monument is often how a society shows what's important that it elevates what's at a center stage. They said, this is so imperative, it's so important that we're going to remove the normal clock that says time, and we're going to show that the earth does not have much time remaining. This is what the world is saying. They have an entire website called Climate Clock. It says, put the most important number in the world up everywhere. And they're saying, we only have seven years. Now, I'm not saying this. No man knows the day or hour. Amen. I'm not saying that. They're saying it. To avoid famine, drought, floods, displacement, conflict, suffering, disaster, the world, my brothers and sisters. This is what they're saying. Have the children of the world in this generation become wiser than the children of light? And what about the coronavirus impact? Does that have any prophetic implications? I'm going to show you, my friends. This is a threat to our religious liberty. When the, flood, when the, the coronavirus came... And I don't know if it came from a bad cat, rat, or lab. We know that it's real, and it's really killing people. So I'm not by any means belittling the fact that it's really taking lives. We have lost friends and family members to coronavirus. Also know that the numbers are skewed. And how do I know that? I've been tracking heart disease and cancer, which kills 1.2 million persons every year. Every year, cancer and heart disease kill over 600,000 people. Last year was the first time in the record of keeping track of cancer and heart disease that they were both down 100,000. So I said, we can only have one or two conclusions. Either coronavirus, those numbers are lumped into the coronavirus, either that, or coronavirus is a cure for cancer and heart disease. <laughs> That's the only two conclusions that we could come to. <laughs> and I believe it's the former. Those numbers are definitely lumped into the coronavirus. It's, really, it's real and it's really killing people, but doubtless they overemphasize those numbers. So this is China, and this is before coronavirus, this is during coronavirus, and they said, look, the lockdown is showing us right now that when people come to a halt, when factories come to a halt, when the amount of motor vehicles on a road come to a halt, when there's less activity, you can see that it affects the climate. It cleared up the air. You guys see the picture? Before, after. Then he did the same thing to the world. This is the world now. This is during coronavirus. I mean, before coronavirus, this is during coronavirus. 
They're saying the shutdown shows very clearly that it definitely affects the climate. Now, I've been preaching this for two years. These are the same slides that I've used two years ago. My brothers and sisters, I saw it. And as time passes, I'm becoming more and more confirmed in my belief that the devil is using this as a means to usher in the National Sunday Law. Now, when this happened, this is CNN, Helen Reagan. She said this. Coronavirus has shown us that in order to avert the worst impacts of a global crisis, world leaders need to come together and make what kind of changes? Bold changes. What did she say? Now watch. She says, the world has been giving a trial run in the global crisis management. It shouldn't waste it. You know what they began to say? Shut us down. Be a totalitarian. She was, they were literally begging for the President Trump at the time. They said, take control. Shut us down. Act like a totalitarian. We're giving you permission to shut us down. Now, just think with me for a second. If, uh, uh, let's, we're looking at the link between climate change and the coronavirus, right? So we're seeing that first the coronavirus, I mean climate change was always there, but now the coronavirus came and what it did is it showed them that by shutting down, coming to a halt, coming to a stop, it affects the climate. It, it, it improves positively the climate. Am I making sense so far? Does it make sense to you so far? Now, think with me. If you're coming to a complete stop in order to, sh to improve the climate, is that sustainable to do all the time? What's going to happen if you do that all the time? What's going to happen to the economy? The economy will fall, right? So what must happen then is there must be a balance. Listen, there must be a balance between working and stopping. Working and stopping. In other words, maybe we should just have one day of rest that will give the same effect. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks after I've been preaching this and saying this, I ran across this article by a Southern Baptist. And he had a whole article about you know, how we need to go back to God's original Sabbath message, which is a day of rest and so on and so forth. And there's a whole article on it. But it says, a radical environmental proposal. And then what did he say? A day of rest. And then notice what the article says. It says, last week as environmentalists around the world celebrated Earth Day, I was intrigued by the potential of a biblical solution to the problem of air pollution. What is that? A day of rest. Biblical. If you want to avert the climate issue, we need to have a day of rest. And then he said, you must be wondering, how would you sustain your business? How would you sustain yourself if you stop for one day? And by the way, which day do you think he said? you think he says uh, Friday to Saturday? You, th you think that's what he said? What day did he say? He said Sunday. And then he goes on to say, listen, he said, Chick-fil-A has been doing this since their very inception. 
And he says, as a result of their faithfulness to the Sabbath, which is their Sunday, God has blessed them. And then he shared some stats. And I looked it up. Do you know that Chick-fil-A only has 2,400 locations? I say only, but that's in perspective, right? And in their 2,400 locations, which operate six days a week, they generate about $11 billion a year, right? Now, their main competitors, who are their main competitors? You guys know who they are? As far as, as, far as chicken is concerned. We have KFC, Popeye's, and Church's Chicken, right? Those three companies combined have over 10,000 locations, and all three of them combined make less than Chick-fil-A with 2,400 locations. Combined, they make about 88, about eight, uh, they have over 8,500 locations, and they make, about, uh, they, they, they make about $8 billion a year. Chick-fil-A in 24 locations, which closes one day a week, makes a revenue of $11 billion. He's saying, see, that's an example of when you honor God's Sabbath day, He'll bless you. My friends, do we see the handwriting on the wall? And then, there's an entire website that came out. It says, there's nothing you can do about the environment. Yeah, sorry, is there nothing you can do about the environment? Nothing may be one of the best things you can do. One day, every week, do nothing. And they're calling it the Green Sabbath Project. Now, I'm going to play you a video. And I was shocked when I saw this because this video literally, I mean, it's four minutes long, but it, it, it's very potent. It literally summarizes everything that we've been preaching about, everything that we've been seeing for the last two years. Notice what this video says. So we're learning more now about the sad toll of the corona lockdowns in this country. According to Joe Biden, though, we could get another round of lockdowns. These for a crisis that's every bit as bad as the coronavirus, maybe worse. That crisis, of course says Joe Biden, is climate change. Today I'm pleased to announce a team that will lead my administration's ambitious plan to address the existential threat of our time, <clears throat> climate change. Folks, we're in a crisis. Just like we need to be a unified nation in response to COVID-19, we need a unified national response to climate change. And from this crisis, from these crises, I should say, we need to seize the opportunity to build back and build back better than we were before. A unified national response. It's involuntary, that's the one thing we know. Hmm. What does it mean? Well, we're learning that a World Health Organization staffer has written a report saying that a climate lockdown could be called for. It's like a COVID lockdown, a climate lockdown. Mark Rano is an author who's written a lot about climate change. He found a climate depot. He joins us tonight. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. A climate lockdown. Now, I would laugh this off the table, except we all just lived through the last 18 months, so we know that anything is possible. What does this mean exactly? I hope you guys are getting this. In my book, Green Front, I detail two chapters on this, Tucker. This is the climate activists were, first of all, jealous when the COVID lockdowns happened. Mm -hmm. They were beside themselves saying, how is this happening? Everyone from Greta Thunberg to John Kerry, UN officials. And then they started saying, 
We need to follow this. If we can shut down for a virus, we can shut down for climate. And that's what we're seeing. There's even academics in Australia proposing adding climate change to death certificates. And Bill Gates has said the death toll will be greater. So they're following every step of the way. And it's not just you know a, a professor here or someone in academia. We have a major UK report coming out. We have an international agency report that came out uh, calling for essentially the same type of lockdowns. Everything from restrictions on your thermostat to restrictions of moving. Uh, you know, you can only fly in a climate emergency when it's quote morally justifiable. You know, kind of like a lockdown, you have to justify going to the store for essential services. They're going after freedom of movement. They're going after private car ownership. They're going after uh, everything it means to be a free person and turning it over to the administrative state. Would this include shutting down the iPhone factories in China? Would China and India participate in this climate lockdown? Or is it kind of you first, America? Well, you know, as we know, the lockdowns have never been proposed. We felt like lemmings following the, the, the Chinese Communist Party in terms of them recommending lockdowns. The World Health Organization went after it. The World Health Organization employees are now recommending these climate lockdowns. The one person, countries that won't be affected is China. As, as you say, as we're sitting home binge-watching Netflix, we're not going to be able to have the freedoms we used to have. In the UK, they proposed CO2 ration cards that the government or employers would monitor your CO2 levels, you know, your energy use, your travel, the type of car you drive. If you exceed a level, you pay penalties. If you're under, you get credits. This is the world. A CO2 budget for every man, woman, and child on the planet has been proposed by a German climate advisor. This is, our, this is what we're looking at. I, you know, I talked to a German who talked about East Germany. They used to have these kind of restrictions uh, in East Germany before you could leave the country. But we're talking about proposing these now on Americans within the country. And we had this, of course, with COVID. They were talking about bans on interstate travel at one point, uh, a national ban, some of Biden's advisors. So, Anything is possible. Chuck Schumer is urging Biden to declare a national climate emergency. Just like a blue state governor, he could have emergency powers. I feel such deep shame that Americans complied with what we've just been through, and I hope that they will not comply with this. I really do. Mark, thanks so much. For well, on that, the, sure. Thank you, Tony. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe. Brother and sister, do you, do you see the implications of what's taking place? In fact, notice what it says now. It says, America's precious freedom of religious belief and practice is in danger of being destroyed by those who would force the what? The conscience of the minority to conform to the wishes of the what? Now, it, it, it baffles me. I'm not going to get into the specifics and the details about the vaccinations versus non-vaccinations. You could do your own scientific research and come to your own scientific conclusion about what you want to do to your own body. I know where I stand. However, it baffles me when our church would say that this has nothing whatsoever to do with liberty of conscience, being forced out of jobs, being forced out of schools, being forced in all regards and realms of life, and, and, and I'm trying not to say too much. But I'll put it this way. Go ahead. I speak to community leaders. And what you see on the news is not the same thing that you hear that's really happening in the communities. I know a CEO of hospitals, and what you're hearing from the CEO of a hospital who's true is not the same thing that you're hearing on the news. 
when I go to a hospital or when I go to a community leader and he says we have 100 cases, 20 cases right now and every 120 case that's in the hospital right now is vaccinated. You don't hear that on the news. When you have a, a nursing department, then this is what one of our community leaders told us, that you have 28 persons in that ward, 26 of them got uh, coronavirus, and all 26 that got the virus was vaccinated. The only two that didn't were the ones that were out, uh, not vaccinated. You don't hear that on the public news. But what am I saying? They're pushing this thing in such a way that we become so fearful and we get desensitized and is willing to give up our liberty of conscience. And that's why there's a whole chapter called Liberty of Conscience Threatened. The Bible predicts that the United States will take a moral fall while Rome is rising to prominence. We're seeing it right now. Every principle of the United States Constitution will be repudiated. We see that, my brothers and sisters. The homosexuality, the legalization of marijuana, the way the coronavirus and the vaccinations are being handled, they're literally going against the principles of their Constitution. And we're beginning to see the inroads of this two-horned beast that was lamb-like that begins to speak as a dragon. So we see that there's two ways in which the United States will take control. Number one, they start with deception. If you read Revelation 13, verse 13 and 14, it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from God out of heaven and the earth and the side of men. And the Bible says, And he deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had a wound by a sword, and did live. So we see that the United States, they start off first with deception, and then it now translates to force. Now let's look at the deception. There's a man by the name of George Willem Frederick Hegel, and he came up with something called a Hegelian dialectic, German philosopher who developed a dialectic scheme that emphasized the progress of history and the ideas from thesis to antithesis and then to the synthesis. And this is how it works. Now listen to these words very carefully in light of the coronavirus, and you see it with great clarity. Notice what it says. It says the Hegelian dialectic where the ruling elite create a problem, anticipate in advance the reaction of the population to the crisis, and thus conditioning the people to call for a, a chain, Hegelian dialectic. When the population is properly conditioned, the designed agenda of the ruling elite is presented as the solution. And then it goes on. The solution they present is not intended to solve the problem, but to serve as a basis for a new problem or exasperate the existing one. When the newly created problem reaches boiling point, it becomes a foundation for the people for a clamber for change again. Now let me show you this chart how it works. So at the top you have an agenda. This is the agenda, right? The centralization of power. Then you have the thesis, which is the problem that's created, the manufactured threat. 
Then you have the thesis, the first step in the creation of the problem. Then you have the antithesis, which is the repressive police, uh, police state, which means the second step is to generate opposition to the problem. Fear, panic, and hysteria. So now as a result of the thesis, the manufactured threat, it, there's a reaction from the people now that, oh, you know, I, I'm fearful, I'm in panic, I'm in hysteria. I must do this. This is the only solution. Now I was at my sister's house a couple of weeks ago. And for 24 hours, all you heard is vaccine, vaccine, coronavirus, vaccine, coronavirus, vaccine, vaccine, coronavirus, vaccine. And they're sharing all these stats, and they're not sharing the other side at all. What does that lead to? People are fearful. If I don't get this vaccine, I'm dying. I'm going to die. If I don't get this vaccine, I'm being selfish. And now they're willing to give up their liberty of conscience because they're being told and programmed that you're not being a good citizen and then you're being banned from work, you're being banned by school, you're being ostracized, you're being uh, looked upon as, 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 a, as a, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of right or criminal in society if you don't go in that direction. So what is that leading to? Fear, panic, and hysteria. Step number three, or four rather, or three, is the removal of freedom and then a transfer of power from many to few. The third step is to offer the solution to the problem created by step one. A change, now listen, a change which would have been impossible to impose upon the people without proper psychological conditioning achieved in stages one and two. Now I want you to notice, there has to be a psychological conditioning of the mind to accept something that you otherwise would not. Am I making sense to anyone? By the way, when the National Sunday Law is passed... It is going to come from the people, and they're going to say, this makes perfect sense. Their minds will be so conditioned that they say, you know what? If, just like the coronavirus, if you don't follow this, you're not being a good citizen. And I can see it all coming together. I can see America saying, God, we have gone away from our Constitution. George Washington used to pray in the White House, and now we've, we, we've accepted homosexuality, we've accepted marijuana and, 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 and legalized it, and we've gone away from our morals, and we, there's all kinds of calamities and catastrophes, there's all kinds of things going on in the world. We need to get back to being a Christian. We need to get back to being a lamb. You know what that means? The solution is we need to get back to God. And how do we get back to God? We need to be united on our day of worship. He says here, the synthetic solution to these conflicts can't be introduced unless those being manipulated take a side that will advance the predetermined agenda. This is Hegelian dialectic, my friends. We're seeing it right before our eyes. The stage is set, my brothers and sisters, for a national Sunday law, which we are told is the last act in the drama. 
The substitution for the laws of men for the law of God, the exaltation of merely human authority for Sunday in place of Bible Sabbath is the last act in the drama. Now remember, when I was in New York, I didn't grow up Adventist, didn't grow up a Christian, and I remember we had to go to these Broadway plays uh, for some of our art class and speech class and various things of that nature. Now remember when they came to what's called the last act in the drama, you go on recession, they'll turn the lights on, and then everybody go and socialize, and then the lights begin to dim. And they announce, please get seated and get quiet because we are now about to enter into the last act in the drama. And then everybody quietly returns to their seat. And then once everyone is fully seated, the lights go fully dim. The curtains begin to roll back slowly. And they say, now you're entering into the last act in the drama. Now my friends, once you enter into that last act, there's a stillness. There's a solemnity. Everyone knows their proper position. And when those curtains are rolled back, you don't see people scrambling around and rambling and, and, and have a script in their hand and trying to memorize their line and, and trying to figure out where they're supposed to be on stage. When that curtain is rolled back, everyone is in their proper position and everyone knows their exact lines. Everyone knows their position and everyone knows their work. Now, my friends, whether we know it or not, we're a part of this last act in the drama. And it's not time for God's people to be scrambling and rumbling around. When the light of prophecy shines, my friends, and God is allowing the last act in the drama to unfold, we should know our line, we should know our position, we should know our work. The curtains of the last act in the drama, which is the National Sunday Law, is slowly being rolled back, my friends. And let me tell you, behind that curtain is none other than that coronavirus that Satan is using to allow our minds to be desensitized, to be willing to give up our liberties of conscience. And we got to be careful as God's people. We got to be careful. So we looked at on the Senate Times. Now the question is, as we uh, look to wrap this message up, do we know what to do? The prophet says, God desires his people to prepare for the soon coming crisis. Prepared or unprepared, they must do what? They must, they must all meet it. Whether you're ready or not. There's an old saying, ready or not, hear it. Here it comes. And what, what is this national Sunday law? What is this last act in the drama which you know is the national Sunday law? It says... When secular rulers unite with ministers of religion to dictate in matters of conscience, then it will be seen who really fears and serve God. It says here, the time that we are now allowed to go to waste should be devoted to the charge of God has, has given us of preparing for the approaching crisis. And when that crisis comes, my friends, we realize that it leads to no buy and no sell. And that's why the prophet says, I see the necessity to make haste to get all things ready for the, for the crisis. You know what most people say? Just like that man in Great, Great Controversy, page 20, we think that it's just enough to have a theory about this. 
We think it just enough to talk about it and preach about it. What that man needed was an experience. Most of the time when we talk about this, they say, well, I hear what you're saying, but my bread and my water is sure. You ever heard that before? My bread and my water. I hear you, but I have the promise. My bread and my water is sure. My question is this. Your bread and water is sure. That is true, but when? That's the question. When? Now think with me. What would be the point in God penning in the book of Revelation 13, 17 that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name or the number of the beast or the number of his name? Why would God pen this if our bread and water is always sure? It doesn't make any sense. And by the way, this is just a little over a year ago. You see that? A little over a year ago, this is me going to Target. You see this? A little over a year ago. And this already is far-fetched from our minds, my brothers and sisters. That our grocery stores are only three days away from not having any food whatsoever. I called Whole Foods just a few days ago because I wanted to see if we could get wholesale for them for our restaurant. You know what Whole Foods says? They say we could barely get food for ourselves at this point. We are struggling ourselves to keep our shelves stocked. Just three days ago, speaking of Whole Foods, everyone knows, just do some research, that there's about to be a national food crisis, my brothers and sisters. That's why the prophet says, I see the necessity to make haste, make haste to get all things ready for the crisis. Again and again, the Lord has instructed, now think about it, if our bread and our water is always sure, what does these words mean, my friends? Again and again, the Lord has instructed our people to take their families away from the cities into the country where they can raise their own provision. Some people have this part, but not this part. I've taken my family away from the cities into the countries, but it doesn't stop there. It says, where they can raise their own provisions. Why? For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. We should now begin to hear the instruction given us over and over again. And the prophet says, yet it is a hard lesson for men to learn that God means what he says. We don't believe it. We're just like that man in the great controversy, page 20. We're preaching about it, but are we truly living it? Are we truly experiencing it? Are we truly putting our hands to the plow and not looking back, my friends? As you look at the prophetic chart, I believe that we're living right now in a time of a straight testimony and a shaking is about to take place. This is the order of events. Then God's people will be sealed. Then it will glaze in the national sunny law, which God's church will be purified. And then the latter rain will be poured out. The loud cry will be given. Probation will be closed. The seven last plagues will be poured out. Jacob's time of trouble will come. And then the second coming of Christ. But I want you to notice at the bottom, you see that something that says a little time of trouble and a great time of trouble. In the great time of trouble, our bread and our water will be sure. After probation closes. 
But over here, in a little time of trouble, my friends, we need to be raising our own provisions. Because the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. We should now, not tomorrow, not next year, we should now begin to hear the, the, those counsel given us over and over again. What am I saying? We have another ark to build. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, the Bible says, By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. By faith, it says. Why? Because he saw that there had come a time, my brothers and sisters, that a flood was coming and his bread and water needed to be sure on that ark, so he made sure he did the proper preparations. My question is, do we understand that we're living as it was in the days of Noah, my friends? As he began to construct that immense boat on dry ground, multitudes came from every direction to see the strange sight and to hear the earnest, fervent words of the singular preacher. And notice what it says here. Every blow struck upon the ark was a witness to the people, my friends. He was not just proclaiming, he was also practicing. He was not just preaching, he was also practicing, my friends. If we're truly believing that we're living in the last days, let's not just proclaim, let's also practice. What do you say? Like Noah. Let's preach with our hammers. Let's preach with our shovels and forks and hoes. What do you say, my friends? A flood is coming. By the way, we have something far more vast than Noah had. We have evidences. Noah had no evidence that there was going to be a flood. Only faith. God has given us sufficient evidences, my friends. And we're still behind the ballpark of Noah. And I can imagine Noah was, was tempted and, and ridiculed and mocked. And they were saying, Noah, I looked, I, I heard that you mentioned that there's, there's something called rain, water coming from the sky or something like that. Well, I checked with our meteorologist and he looked back the last thousand years and he saw no rain. Then he looked forward the next thousand years and he saw no rain. Noah, there is no such thing as rain. And Noah said, I hear you. And they said, all right, no, no, no. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just adjust the plan? You're investing a lot in this big, massive boat. It's taking up all your time and all your resources. I have a better plan, Noah. Let's, why don't we just build a little canoe? And that way you have more time to teach people and preach about this, this flood that's coming. Just build a small canoe. I, I can help you. We could put one up in about a week or two. And that way you could focus more on preaching. And I can imagine Noah went back to the blueprint that came from God. And as Noah looked at the blueprint and what was said, he says, I hear what you're saying, but it actually does not match the blueprint that God has given me, my friends. Stick to the blueprint, my friends. Let the scoffers alone. And hear the voice of God. So Noah's flood, Noah's boat was in the same place. Started off with a lot and then it died down. Many people held to build up but did not get in. People heard about it and it was, not, it was well advertised. It was designed to save people from eternal death. The truth was preached there, my friends. And many looked with amazement but ended up leaving. Ellen White called them Noah's carpenters. They helped to build the ark but drowned. 
who was to save the world, but also his family. Those who were saved made the ark a priority. Healthy living was advertised, and Noah invested in the ark. And unfortunately, Noah had to watch his friends and family members drown in the flood that he foretold. They went back to their old habits, and we're told that anywhere from 7 to 17 billion people existed in that time, and they all drowned in the flood. So Noah was hitting God. He was a praying man. He ran a practical faith-based training school. He promoted healthy living. He ran a major agricultural program. And that's what it says in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, and verse 22. He says, take that with thee, all the food into the ark. Where did that food come from? Noah had to grow that food. We need Noah's mindset. What do you say? Bible says, I'm going to skip these for the sake of time, that Noah did all that God commanded him. He said all that, Noah, that God commanded him. You read that in Genesis 6.14 and Genesis 7.1. It says Noah did all that God commanded him. It was not enough to make the ark. The people had to get in it and stay in it. He did everything that God asked him to do. Now, Let's look at Noah's investment plan as we close. It says, while Noah was giving his warning message to the world, his work testified of his sincerity. It was thus that his faith was perfected and made evident. Now listen, he gave the world an example of believing just what God says. Listen to these words, my friends. All that he possessed, he invested in the ark. How much did he invest? All that he possessed. How much did he lose? They say that Noah is the world's greatest investor ever. In fact, there's an old saying that Noah floated his stocks. And the world went into liquidation. Quite literally. I don't know about you, but I want to float my stocks. What do you say? It says, many at first appeared to receive the warning, yet they did not turn to God with true repentance. They were unwilling to renounce their sins. Some were deeply convicted and would have heeded the words of, of the warning, but there were many to jest and ridicule, that, and that they partook of the same spirit, resisted invitation of mercy, and were soon among the boldest and most defiant scoffers. They start off with him, and now they are the boldest and most defiant scoffers. In Kentucky near our property is about an hour and ten minutes away. They have a life-size ark. And my wife and I visited this ark for the first time. They do it in such a way that you get on a bus first and then you can't see it and then you come around the corner and then you see this grand and massive ark. I remember getting out and see this. It's so big you can't even take a close-up picture. You have to back all the way out to take a picture. It is humongous. When my wife saw the side of the ark for the first time, she hates when I show this picture. 
she literally erupted in tears. And she said, I cannot believe only eight people got on that ark. I'm not sure about you, my friends. But I hate for God to say, with the massive plan that I've given to you, I'm so sorry to see that only a few got on this plan. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. As Noah's preaching, Many were laughing, mocking, and scourging. And the last thing that God did for them to give them the last opportunity for repentance is them seeing these dumb animals miraculously line up two by twos, sevens by sevens, and march into the ark. And even if they did not believe, no, my friends, the Bible says, ask the beast and they shall teach thee. The beasts were smarter than the people. And they could have said, I didn't listen to Noah for the last 120 years, but I've never seen animals line up in exact order. I've never seen animals just come together and march into an ark. I didn't listen to Noah, but I'm going to follow these animals. But instead, they continued to laugh. And the Bible says, and the Lord shut him in. Now, I want you to notice, it didn't say he shut himself in. The Bible says, and the Lord shut him in. I wonder why. And for seven days, Noah was in that ark, shut up, while the people were shut out. And I can imagine they were banging on the doors and saying, Noah, and then laughing and saying, No, I, I, I told you. I told you you were wasting your time. You could have just built a canoe. I told you no flood was coming. You wasted 120 years of your time and your treasure and your talents. And you could have been out here having fun like all of us. And then they felt a strange phenomenon. A sprinkle from the sky. And imagine they felt the first drop and they said, what is this? I've never seen water touch me from the sky before. What is this? And then it began to pour. And they're banging on the door. Noah, please let me in. Noah, please let me in. And Noah probably heard the voices of his sisters and his brothers and his close cousins and his friends that he's heard all these years. And Noah's heart desired to save them. But God said, no, no, no. I shut the door. And he that shutteth, no man openeth. And he that openeth, no man shutteth. God says, because I shut the door, I know that Noah might be tempted to open the doors for his loved one, but their probation has closed. It's too late. So they mocked. They scorched. And now the ark is floating away. And the water is rising. And they said, Noah, come back, Noah. Come back. I hear you now, Noah. Please, Noah. I'm ready to come in the ark now, Noah. I held the bill. I see that wood right there. I'm the one that placed that wood there. I remember I helped you build that door, Noah. Noah's carpenters drowned outside of the ark that they helped to build. 
A flood is coming, my friends. Relentless in his fury. Are you prepared to meet it? If you will be, we can't be like that man in Great Controversy, page 20. We have to be like Noah. Preach and practice. Preach with our hammer and also with our mouth. And like the way Elder Frizzi said it, he said, they must have been saying to Noah, religion has gone to his head. Then Frizzi said, praise God, not only his head, it also got into his hands. Let religion get to your head and also into your hands, my friends. What we're doing in Kentucky, by God's grace, is building another ark. What I encourage you to do is to build an ark for the saving of your house. Don't get distracted or sidetracked. Don't get caught up with those who are saying you're conspiracy theorists and, you know, doomsday preppers and all these things. Many of those men who are drowning in the picture said the very same thing and died in a siege that was foretold. Be a part of God's army these last days, my friends. That has another ark to build. What do you say? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love and your mercies. We're thankful, Lord, for all the blessings that you've bestowed upon us in taking us out of darkness into this marvelous light, Lord. I thank you that our eyes have been opened, Father, that we may see that a crisis is brewing and that the preparation that's needed is not just a spiritual preparation but also a practical preparation. And help us to do our part to develop these outpost centers that when the cross crisis breaks we'll have a place of refuge for the tempted souls. That when those who are hearing the warning cries for the first time, come out of her, my people, when probation has already closed, those who have never heard this message, Lord, will have an ark prepared so that their bread and water may be sure until our bread and water is in fact sure. Help us to study deeper. Not only study deeper, but also have a deeper experience. And help us to be practically prepared when you come, Lord. For this we ask and pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.